Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? We, we back at it again, back at it again. Ray Race Podcast live from downtown Dallas. Hello, studios on the ninth floor. You know, it's your boy, Ray. And Ray. And Allison. You know, you know, we back at it again with another edition of Ray Race Podcast. Got a great episode planned for y'all today. Uh, thank you to all of our people that have been watching us. Make sure you're going out there, still liking, subscribing, you know, following us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, we greatly appreciate that, all right? Y'all been doing all right? Yes, sir. Been doing fantastic. You know, now y'all back in town. I know y'all was, got the little travel book y'all had in y'all, but y'all back. <laughs> well, I'm about to leave again <laughs> tomorrow, so. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? You exploring yeah. the world out there, Craig. Yeah. The world. All right, cool. Well, you know, this is the part of the show. You know, we like to start off, you know, like to reset people's day, reset people's week. You know, been, you know you've been having a bad day. Let's let's start it. Let's control all the leak, you know, restart it. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. Ready. Okay. In case no one's told you out there today, you're beautiful, you're loved, you're needed, you're alive for a reason. Hey, you're stronger than you think. See, you're going to get through this. Hey, here, we're all glad you're alive and don't give up. So, you know, keep those positive words in your mind. Like I said, you're training your mind for battle. And, you know, when, when hard times come and hard things come, you can just go back to those words. And I swear, I promise you, it's going to make things better. All right. Cool. Y'all ready? Y'all feel better after that? Y'all reset? Yes, sir. All right. All right, let's get into this. All right. So today, let me tell you who we got in the building, all right? Not only do we have a musician in the building, not only do we have a manager in the building, in the building music executive, promoter, man of many hats, legend, you know, in the Fort Worth Hall of Fame, shout out to our guy, Smooth Vega, in the building. Everybody give him a round of applause in the building. What's up? How you doing, man? Oh, they love you, they love you, they love you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to talk unless I heard that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they had to get them flowers real quick. There we go. I appreciate you for rocking with us today coming in, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. How you guys doing? Man, we alive, so we're blessed, you know. That's really all that matters right now. It's been a long time coming. I think we were supposed to do this interview like a year ago. Yeah, it was. It's been like a year. Man, it's probably been like exactly a year. It's been a little over a year, so we're here now, though, so... Trying to get the people what they want. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. you never question God's timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Again, you know what I'm saying? I'll say congratulations on being inducted into the Fort Worth Hall of Fame. Um, how did that induction make you feel learning about that, man? I was a little taken back by it, you know what I mean? Because at the, at the time, I'm 34. So right now, you know, that was in 2019. I'm 37 now. So... When they, I almost hesitated to say I was 37. I was like, oh Have you been lying about your age, man? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, damn, I'm 37. Well, I forget my age all the time. No, nah, but uh, at the time I'm 34, so, you know, for me to get, you know, told, hey, you know, like, oh, sorry about that. Uh, for me to get kind of told, hey, you know, you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And at that time, you know, there was already, like, articles that were published on me as far back as 2015. So from the time I was 30, like, the local media in Fort Worth was referring to me as the godfather of Fort Worth. And I'm like, man, that's like a really bold like title for me, especially, you know, at that age. Cause I feel like, you know, when you, when you think of hall of fame, you think of terms like godfather, even gatekeeper to me, that's a term that's usually used for people that are a lot, the elders, the elderly, mm-hmm. I guess you would say like people that are already out the game and like, I'm still proactive. You know what I mean? Like you don't see, Players while they're playing get inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I was like, "Hey, man, like, <laughs> I'm not done yet. What's going on here?" You know. So it was kind of a little weird for me whenever they initially initially told me. But obviously, you know, it was a range of emotions. And when they told me, I was I was honored and and I was emotional because you think of the journey that you go through, and even if it's just you know a Hall of Fame in in, in Fort Worth or or whatnot in terms of the music stuff, like it was still like. You know, you know that all those sacrifices and all those years of hard work weren't for for anything. You know, for nothing at least. So, it was um, it was dope. <laughs> it was dope. Definitely one of the highlights of my career. You know. Yeah. Well, once again, congratulations on that. Uh, so, Premiere Live TV. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So, Premiere Live TV. So, you know, originally uh, when I launched my company, Premiere Live Experience, which was uh, a company that I, I launched in 2015 through contracts, but I made it public in 2016. Premier Live was a company that I built out of necessity. And what it was, was it was originated and formed with the intention to give artists opportunities that I was never given as an artist. The initial idea was I wanted to form a company that was going to basically route national tours 
but in the in the process, give you know independent artists, local artists in specific, those opportunities that I wasn't afforded. But the goal was eventually to find an artist that would eventually become the beneficiary of my system. I really wanted to learn that side of the business, but in the process, build a lot of relationships in, in doing so. What I realized pretty much in the first year was that local media um, would reach out to me for interviews and for, you know, because they, you know, they see me bring in national headlining artists and like, hey, you know, like, what can we do to get the interview? And at, in the beginning, I was giving everybody interviews. I was giving the newspapers, uh, the local uh, blog sites, you know, blogs or whatever, video blogs, the interviews. And what I realized pretty quick was that nobody was like redirecting the the traffic to me or to the company. Mm. So it became one-sided to me. And I think uh, my breaking point was when I took uh, an artist to 97.9 The Beat. And I remember I took them there and they specifically told the artist when they walked in, like, hey, you can't mention the show uh, on air, which because we weren't running advertisements with them. But they were still taking the interview from me and they were still going to publish the interview on their socials and be like, hey, you know, we got so-and-so in the studio. And I had given them a handful of interviews. And then they're repurposing the content for YouTube. And I'm like, well, you're not even giving me any credit. You're not even like salute to Smooth Vega, salute to Premier Live for making this happen. You can't even give us an on-air mention because, you know, we're not giving you, you know, advertising dollars, but get using my artist. And in my case, you know, I was spending, you know, let's say ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on this headlining artist to come out. You're getting this interview. How does that benefit me? Yeah. So I started Premier Live TV to basically go, well, if I'm going to book the artist, I want to interview my artist that I'm booking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the so I launched in 2016 uh, the first version of Premier Live TV, and I took a personality that you know that I thought had potential to do it, and I tried to get her to do the interviews. It didn't really work out. We did we did a handful of interviews back in 2016, and then I just iced the channel. And then I was like, well, I want to start Premier Live Radio, which is going to be like a podcast. I was man, I had all these ideas, and finally, uh, you know, we we. Um, Around the end of 2019, going into 2020, I had started getting into doing my own podcast. And my man, Kyle Elrod, uh, a.k.a. Mo, uh, First Eye Media, he saw what I was doing. And he was like, man, look, dude, like, I want to bring this to life. I said, well, what do you have in mind? And it was his idea, his, his, his concept to basically say, you know what, I see what you're doing. I think this could be bigger than what you think it can be. Let's do a video podcast. And that's what left for Premier Life TV to really like start, and here we are. I know it's a long ass answer, but um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but that, that's the uh, that's the way it got formed. Basically, I got tired of giving everybody free shit. <laughs> that's the short answer. You know what I'm saying? No more free shit. No more no freebies. Free but I mean, you know, no you, more free shit, really. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I think you can kind of understand my angle behind it because, like, I don't want to be anti, you know, industry or anti-establishment, but at the same time. I can't allow myself to to give, 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 and not get something in return, especially something as as much of a just a head nod gesture. Like, hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was it for me. Okay, so to start the interviewing, you know, I mentioned all the many hats that you wear. Mm-hmm. One of those hats that I did not talk about was I know you are social media manager. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that aspect of what you do. Yeah, so, you know, I, I've been doing social media management before it was called social media management, right? Like, obviously, you know, social media to me is still, it's really technically in its infancy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the internet's only been around maybe 20, 25 years, like, strong. But uh, I formed my website in 2002, so I've had my smoothvega.com for 20 years. Back then, we used to promote our websites different. You know, I used to, you know, I used to have, like, a guest book, so I used to go on social media platforms, like, a lot of, like, the, the community-based sites, like Mijante, See Pixel, eventually MySpace, and I would advertise. So I just kind of learned how to promote through social, and that's actually what, you know, the first variation of me being a promoter started there. Um, but, man, I mean, as far back as I can remember, you know, we used to do social media management. I had a friend of mine who, who passed away last year that, you know, he did graphics, and he was doing a lot of MySpace pages at the time, and then eventually that transitioned into me doing, like, Facebook management for people. So I've been doing that now for a very long time, and I've built a lot of people's platforms. I run YouTube channels, TikToks, uh, Facebook pages, uh, Instagram pages, and it's not just about content strategy and, you know, content up, you know, uploads. It's also content creation. And, um, man, I mean, <laughs> it's probably one of the one things that a lot of people don't know that I do. 
because there's an art to social media engagement. And I feel like if you want to be taken serious, especially in today's you know climate, today's day and age, you have to have a. I don't necessarily think you have to be savvy with it, but I think the more that you know, the better that you're going to be able to position your product and reach the masses. So uh, I've really enjoyed uh, that aspect of it, but I also think it's something that nobody has any idea that I do, mm-hmm. and certainly not to the extent that I do it, because I, I'm legitimately not just you know posting. I'm strategizing and figuring out, you know, it's about reading the room a little bit. You know, like if, t- if we're, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, well, guess what we're going to do? Yeah. Hispanic Heritage content, you know, like, oh, today's this day. Okay, we got to post this day. You know, like really just understanding how to get people engaged and really, you know, mastering the art of like call to action from a product perspective, you know? Oh, well, that's dope. That sounds like a lot of fun, too. I mean, it's a lot of work. But, <laughs> hey, like you were saying before, you don't want to give out freebies anymore. So keep that strategy to yourself, you know. Um, but I had a question for you. Um, you've interviewed a lot of really well-known people. Mm-hmm. Um, who are some of your favorite people that you've spoken to? And, like, what got you into doing interviews? I think, you know, what got me into is kind of an extension of what I mentioned to you. So I had attempted to start a podcast project called Premier Live Radio in 2017, which, by the way, I, I, the original version of that was supposed to feature Stephanie, who's someone that you actually interviewed. Yeah. And at the time, she was working for me. No, it was beginning of 2018. We were going to do, like, a, a Premier Live Radio project, and then we ended up not doing it. And so whenever we ended up not doing it, I ended up saying, okay, well, you know, whatever, I that. And then 2020 came around, the pandemic stopped everything, and then I started Premier Live Radio, and I took three personalities, and I just wanted to be executive producer. I never really had aspirations or intentions to be an on-air, but uh, when I finally decided to get into doing on-air stuff and started doing interviews, I, I found myself really enjoying conversations. Because it's really not interviews as much as it's conversation, right? Yeah. So when I started doing the interviews and... Uh, some of the people that I've had conversations with, like, mm-hmm. there's so many people that I can say, like, I've had some really deep conversations with uh, Chris Perez, which is Selena's widow. That's probably one of my favorite interviews. It's my most viewed interview for sure. Um, that one was deep. That one was deep. And what it means to the to the Mexican-American culture and Mexican culture in general, the Latin culture, Selena's like yeah. our Beyonce, our Elvis, our you know, Michael Jackson. So, like, to be able to tell her story through her widow, through her brother, through, you know, her band members, because I have a series of interviews, like, those are real meaningful to me because I know it means a lot to the culture. Um, But on a personal level, being able to interview some of my, some of the people that I grew up, you know, watching and admiring, people like Genuine, like, that's a special interview that, you know, for me, you know, I grew up, he was my favorite singer growing up as far as, like, solo artist, R&B artist. That was cool. Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, being a pro wrestling fan, lifelong, you know, being able to be there. Even Rob Van Dam recently, like, those are, like, cool things that you, when you're young, you don't really think, like, oh, one day I'm going to have a whole-ass conversation with this person, and I can direct the conversation wherever I go, wherever I want to go with it. But, I mean, it's hard to pick from, you know, because, you know, I did the interview with Bun B recently, and they, that went, like, I don't I want to I use the term viral, but it got picked up by all the media outlets, like all the national headline, you know, like, platforms, and it was really cool to be able to get respected for a change on the, on the journalism, on the journalistic aspect of it, because I don't think people realize, like, there's an art to that as well, you know, like, to actually knowing how to do it at a certain level. So yeah. those are some of the ones that stand out to me that come to mind right now. That's so dope. Yeah. So, um, you know, they say you got those mini hats. Let's talk about the promoter hat that you wear, okay? Yeah. Um, I understand you have a a bunch of promoters have come underneath your umbrella. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those people that's coming underneath you. Well, you know, I would say that um, I wouldn't necessarily say um, umbrella per se as much as like there's obviously, you know, when you've been doing it for as long as I've been doing it, because you got to remember the actual starting point of me being an actual self-promoter started as far back as 2006. I mean, if you're talking events, right? But 2007 is whenever I launched like Total Pandemonium, which is really the first version of Premier Live. And I did that for two years. And I met a lot of performers in that time frame. A lot of those performers went on to go do some really great things. That's where I met people like Louis. Um... You know, at the time, whenever Snow the Product lived over here, some of her first shows were on some of those shows. So, uh, you know, it was cool. You know, some of the people that went on 
out of that system went on to be Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders and you know so, so on and so forth. Um, I don't necessarily want to say that they came out of that system because of the system, but I know that I was able to see a lot of that with Premier Live. I think you know people like Stephanie, obviously that I mentioned, who has gone on to do other events and you know have her hand in other situations. Like you know, we went a while without talking and. Um, we recently like patched everything up and you know kind of catching up and seeing some of the stuff that she's done as well as some of the people that work for me that she did stuff with as well like it's pretty cool you know it's pretty cool when you really take into perspective like you know it, you can never really fully take credit for it but to know that you may have sparked somebody's mind to go out and do some of those things it's like man I can't I, I can't put it into perspective like you know you don't get in it with that intention but the goal I think in life or in, in any career in any field is to leave it better than whenever you came into it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if we can if we can leave it in a better space than we did whenever we came in, that's what it's all about. Okay. So there you briefly touched on something that I kind of want to dive into. Uh, starting off, we're going to talk about Central Popular, okay? Yeah, that's yeah, one yeah, of your yeah. events. Now, since you started Central Popular, yeah. uh, there's been a lot of events that have come around <laughs> that yeah. are very similar to Central Popular. Uh, let's see ones that come to mind, like, you know, tequila and tacos. Oh, yeah. There's a concert yeah. coming up here in Fort Worth. Uh, Carne Asada is one of the events I can think of that's kind of similar to what you've done. What do you think about when people do something that is similar to something you started? Does that, does that make you feel proud, or how do you feel about that? I think with the, ta- the, the Taco and Tequila Fest, I'm not really sure of their backstory. And when I went in and I dived in and I kind of looked into that, you know, because you could look at this from many different ways, right? You know, we could look at it from a competitive perspective and be like, well, you want to know what your competition is doing if that's how you view that. Um, as he knows, Ray knows, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. So, you know, by the way, I interviewed Action, Action Jackson. Yeah. Kudos to that. Kudos yeah, on that, right? That. Appreciate it. Uh, so I'll, I'll cross-reference a lot of, you know, pro wrestling analogies and perspectives because, you know, it's no secret, you know, Aside from the accusations and allegations, I went to the school of Vince McMahon, right? Like, he's my promoter, the, the mecca of what I think a promoter is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, some of the things that he's always been able to do is just get to kind of have a pulse on what's going on and kind of be able to forecast. And when I see people like ta- Tacos and Tequila, whatever the name of the event was, when I first hit my radar, I was like, man, this looks a little similar. It had some of the same talent, but... Did a little bit of research, and apparently it's a brand that's been around. I don't know how long it's been around. I can't tell you if it's been around for a year, two years. It might have been longer than me. But whenever they come into the market, specifically they got an event coming up in Fort Worth, uh, and I know that they're not from Fort Worth. They're, they're based out of a whole other state, and you know they're, they're using you know Latin branding on the event, and they only have one Latin artist featured on there. Um, I see that they have some of like the... Tacos emphasized. They have like a low rider contest emphasized, and it starts kind of coming off a little borderline. Expect like they're exploiting the culture. I get sensitive to that. I get sensitive to the idea of the fact that it's an out of state promoter. Which hey, I've been an out of state promoter. I did a whole entire tour with Westside Boogie. I went to Denver. I went to California. We did a handful of dates, and as a promoter, I've been able to go to other markets and you know dip into their economy per se, right? But the goal is always to be able to come back to their economy and give back to their economy. So when I see someone from out of state coming into my local economy, taking dollars out of us and then not giving back to us, you know, you don't even have featured artists, like local artists featured on there. Then I'm like, uh, yeah. yo, I, I mean, I can't. I, it, it, at that point, it becomes a little bit like, yo, the fuck is going on here, right? But yeah. that's me thinking way beyond. On the surface, I don't really care. You know, like, whatever, you know, may the best person win if that's the way we're treating it. Now, as far as, like, Carne Sada, for example, I think whenever it first hit my radar, uh, seeing Stephanie's involvement was probably the only thing that truly made me feel a little sensitive to it. You know what I mean? Because that's somebody that, you know, is a direct result of the system. She, she'll acknowledge it. You know, like, you know, she, she refers to herself as my little Frankenstein, right? Like, someone that I kind of helped get into the business. And, but, you know, from a competitive standpoint, like, with all due respect, I don't view them as competition. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I've been doing this for a very long time. I see someone like Sonya, for example, <clears throat> and when I see her, um, I look at her as me at that point in, in my career. 
you know, like I was an artist. I didn't get an opportunity. I created my own platform. How can I ever be mad at that, right? Like, you yeah. know, how can you really be mad at somebody doing what you've done? And, you know, we're probably a lot more like than she may even realize. And so if there's people that want to make it a competition or say, oh, these people are doing this or that people are doing that, you know, that's fine. You know, let them let, let them feel that way. But, you know, I wish her and everybody doing what they do the best, especially us being Mexican-American. It's hard enough to get your foot into this business. So when you have the opportunity to see other people come in, I want to encourage it. But I can't say the same for everybody else. Like, I can't tell you that they don't view me as competition or or are they an offspring or a direct result of what I'm doing. I, I can't say it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And that's not for me to say. Uh, but in the spirit of pro wrestling, like, it's healthy. You know? WWE is going to always be WWE. It's cool if AEW is around. It's cool if Impact Wrestling is around. But there's still only one WWE, so you know what I mean. Like, facts, facts. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that, that's just the way I look at it. But no, I mean, in all honesty, like I do want to encourage people. Like, I just look at it like from the perspective, like I'm in spaces that, and I've navigated in spaces, and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of relationships and and be in rooms and buildings that a lot of people aren't afforded the opportunity to be in, haven't got the chance to be in, and would probably love to be in. So at that point, you know, it's probably better to learn from me than to compete with me. Yeah. It's better to have a relationship with me than try to compete with me. Some people just let ego get in the way. They let other people influence their decisions. And if you're really about the business and you truly care about the betterment and the growth of your business, you'll see past that. And I've always seen past that. And the spirit of pro wrestling, Vince Man, Triple H, I'm always going to do what's best for business. There you go. Uh, so, uh, next question here is, uh, can you talk to us about your relationship with Rock Nation? Uh, so, the the situation with Rock Nation, is, you know, obviously, XB Valentine, who's an artist that you guys, you know, interviewed uh, or are going to interview. The whole situation with that was they, they took an interest in working with her. So, I manage XB Valentine, right? Uh, they emailed her, which, of course, I want to sit here and, you know, a lot of people give me way more credit than I deserve sometimes, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I think in this case, you know, they, they reached out to her. And when they did, they sh- she didn't believe that the email was real because it was from the distribution side. And I go, no, this is real. And my whole thing was like, hey, if we're going to have and initiate conversations with someone on this level, like I'm not doing it through email. Yeah, We could do a phone call, but we're not doing it through phone call either. We're going to go to New York. so we went to New York we had a meeting with them and um, yeah I mean she's now part of that family she's not signed directly to Rock Nation but she's part of the distribution situation we went there we saw the paper plane logo and everything we went up the elevator we went through goddamn secret service you know what I'm saying it was was really cool man it's a really cool experience but look I guess to answer the question there's a relationship being built now we're forming it you know, um, there's some talks of, you know, me having a, a label imprint through them. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on that I haven't really spoken about. But what I will say that I've really learned from this situation is hard work pays off. You know what I mean? You talk about the Hall of Fame, that stuff was cool. But being able to go to New York, walk into that Manhattan building, you know, a, a place that like Jay-Z built. And I remember when we met with the president of the distribution side, they were telling us like, man, look, you got to think about it from this standpoint. Like, this is a culture thing. We're walking into a culture thing, and that's rewarding. You know what I'm saying? That's like a, that's a dream come true. Like if you're a ball player, you strive to be to walk the the halls that Kobe Bryant did or that Michael Jordan did. You know, to be able to to wear a jersey, you know, in in, in the Staples or the Crypto Arena now or, or in the United Center in, in Chicago. It's like it's surreal. So I think in that sense, it was real surreal, but. You know, you also got to think about all the time that you put into it. And be like, nah, I deserve this. Like, I work way too hard to not get here. So that's how I feel. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I, I kind of like sum up that relationship. I had another question for you um, about the industry. You mm. know, have have you noticed a change in the industry? In I mean, in what sense? I think there's. I think it changes all the time. You know, like it. it you know, music consumption changes. Social media consumption changes. I think things that always stay kind of true 
that are, are just the fact that it's it's a competitive field. Uh, but you got to learn to separate the career from the personal. You know, you asked me a little while ago about like when I see, you know, certain platforms or certain, you know, oh man, these people are kind of doing something similar to what you're doing or there's a little bit of like a similarity there. You got to remember like, if anybody dislikes me, they don't dislike me on a personal level. I can tell you right now, nobody really knows me on a personal level. They dislike the professional persona, the character, referencing pro wrestling, the on-screen character, but not the person. And so I think in that sense, the music industry will never change because people don't know how to differentiate the two. Curtis Jackson doesn't walk around with his bulletproof vest at the house. You know, he doesn't walk around <laughs> going to Walmart with the bulletproof vest, but 50 Cent will wear the bulletproof vest on stage and be 50 Cent in his entirety. So the music industry... The way that things move now, you know, it does feel a little bit more microwavable. Like, like you, you know, you heat it up in a minute, it pops up, it's ready, it's good, and then it comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes. There's not as much like long term longevity in this, but to me, it's just on the style of artist that you strive to be. And with this new generation, they're seeing so many people just come and go, in and out, and that's goal. That's goals to them. You know, how can we tell somebody not to? strive for what they want like <laughs> you know what I mean like like for me it's like I always want to have like a long-term legacy so that's always been my goal I don't want to come in and out you know I'm a firm believer that you leave the way you come in if you came in fast you leave fast if it takes you forever to get in you're going to stay here a lot longer you guys have been doing podcasting for a long time so you know that the more skin you put in the game the more sweat equity you put in the longer you're going to last whenever it happens it takes off but it's not it wasn't overnight yeah most overnight successes take 15 years, so I feel like, you know, that's that's where the things that stay the same. But there's always, like, a change. There's always, like, new genres of music and new fashion trends and new social media trends, like, fitting in and all that stuff is real, like, it's a part of the game, I guess you would say. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed in terms of just, like, obvious change is just... I mean, really, social media, to be honest with you, the inception of social media and how quick somebody can just post a video and it's like, bam, you're viral. It's like a bunch of one-hit wonders are coming out. Um, <laughs> That's a really good way of wording it. Like, it's like a, a one-hit wonderland, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. It's just like pick your one, hit, your, your one hit that you like. And also the way things are, you know what I didn't predict is the power of like, this is going to sound left field, but like, you know, like how Kim K, you know, like how she came up and how she blew up. She blew up from a sex tape and like how being attached to somebody or being in that light, like how that could, how that could really like blow up, you know, or how that could take off. It's weird as hell to me. Like, I, I don't get it, but. I don't get it either, but I do have to say that I personally think Kim Kardashian paved the way for social media influencers. Yeah. I think she's the original one. That's why you see all these girls looking like her, emulating her, or at least people paying attention to their uh, promotion tactics and how they use social media to blow the whole entire family up. They mm-hmm. all have a legacy. But speaking of the one-hit wonders, I feel like a lot of people, like you said, are going on TikTok and just creating yeah. a viral song, making that money, and getting out. But um, you know, speaking of artists, uh, let's talk about who you're representing currently and who are some other artists that you've represented in the past. Stop there real quick because you made a really valid point. You're right. And you know what? So that's another thing that really has changed, believe it or not. And I'm sure you guys can vouch to this. Like, I'm a 90s baby. I'm a 90s kid, right? Or I'm an 80s baby, 90s kid, right? Yeah. yeah. And in our era, you know, songs were three and a half minutes, four minutes. Even in some cases, some of the great songs are five minutes. So like, yeah. now it's like, you'll be lucky to get a two-minute and 20-second song. And, like, people are cool with that. Like, whenever we have conversations in studio, we're having conversations in general, like, three minutes is considered a long song now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's because everybody's like, well, you know, it's TikTok only 15 seconds. And like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, well, um, <laughs> to piggyback off of that, you know, with Apple Music artists who have music on there, the one that pops out to me the most is Chris Brown. I think he's the first artist who came out with like a 24, 25 song album, but the songs are only like two and a half minutes each because they make a certain amount of money per song played. So the shorter the song, the more money to be made. Yeah. So I mean, with social media and Apple Music, I feel like that's affected greatly the length um, 
a song is. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it's all kind of subjective. But I, in terms of the artists that I represent, like I mentioned, you know, I manage XB Valentine. Uh, it's an artist that I've been working with now since uh, the beginning of last year. I've worked with a lot of artists over the course of years. You know, obviously, you know, Louis the Singer, formerly Louis Vol, that was an artist that, you know, I worked with early in his career. Um, I mean, there's other artists, I mean, that I really, really can say that I've managed, though. It's really been them. I mean, and a handful of other, like, developmental situations, but a lot of them that didn't come to, like, fruition because the one thing about the music industry is, like, man, you can sit here and t- say, man, I want this, I want this, I want this, and then when you get put in the game, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, and people get shell-shocked, people get nervous, people get scared. It, it takes a certain level of commitment, a certain type of individual to be able to be committed at this level. You got to be, you got to know what you want. And I always tell people, you know, you can jump in a car and go 100 miles per hour, but if you don't know what you're going, eventually you're going to run out of gas. You got to know your destination. You have to have a want for this skill can be taught. The want cannot, you know, so you could teach somebody how to create music, how to record music. You can't teach them to want it or to show up and to constantly go after it. That's something that just has to be in you or not. I think now as I'm moving into this next phase of my career, which is the music executive aspect of it, there's a lot of talent that I'm looking for. I'm looking, I'm constantly always like, if I see something that stands out, I'll look into it, but I don't want to necessarily jump into working with people that I don't have a personal relationship with because it's a marriage. You know, you're not going to get into a real relationship with somebody you don't know. You know, you can, you could be attracted to somebody like, you know, on a, on a, on a working level, or even, you know, if you're using the dating analogy, you can be attracted to somebody, but it's just that it's just physical attraction. It's just attraction. There's no real depth to that. And so I try to work with people that I understand, that I know that I'm going to be able to mold, develop, and coach. And I have a few people right now that I'm looking at that I feel that I have that with right now. But until the time's right, I don't want to pull the trigger on them because I don't want to do a disservice or an injustice to these artists. But I am getting closer and closer to the point where I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. Because it's about creating the narrative of being the executive and really, you know, and, you know, I think to, to anybody's point, you know, like, Working with XB Valentine, for example, I didn't discover her. You understand what I'm saying? Like yeah. she was already working. I came in, I revamped, I may be rebranded, but I didn't discover her, right? Like I didn't find her in a bar just like singing in the corner, you know. But I wanna have the 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 artist that I discovered. I wanna be able to be scooter broad and say, Man, I saw this kid on YouTube and his name's Justin Bieber and I I'm the reason why this kid decided to pursue this for a career. Like there's something powerful in that. People call it ego, but it's really like it's it's like an eye, an eye for talent. It's being able to identify like you can be a megastar. Let me put my fingerprints on what you're doing and watch it come to life. That that shit is powerful to me. To be able to change somebody's life by just saying I could change your life. You could change my life. Let's do it. That is something that you, I, I can't explain that feeling. That's like a, it's, it's incredible. So I'm always in look for that and in hopes that, you know, I discover that, that artist that could eventually be that, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, the rec- leadership. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, recently I watched an interview uh, where you said when you were younger, you wanted to be a counselor. Yeah. Um, in many ways, managing artists and talent, in a way, you have to be a counselor. Yeah, 100%. So what steps and what things do you do to keep yourself upright to be able to be that guidance for people? Because leading other people, you got to be positive. you got to be able to take on other people's issues and problems and help them get through those problems. So what do you do to keep yourself centered to help them get through those situations? I think it's the same thing that you just learn over the course of time. The older you get, the more that you understand, like, you know, um, le- the leadership concept you know, you're, you're, you're viewing it from an overview, right? And when you view from an overview, you're, you're looking at the situation holistically. Not everybody has an eye-to-eye level with you, so they can't relate to you. So you have to understand that, first, off, first and foremost, you got to separate yourself from that, like, you know, um, you know, not to mention the Stephanie situation, but I think that's a really key point in my development as a leader as well because we had a fallout in 2019, and the way that that happened was various things that led to that. But the, the ultimate deciding factor was there was a situation that she was upset about. And rather than me addressing it, I dismissed it. I was like, oh, well, you know, she'll get over it and we'll talk about it later. Or that's how she feels. Fuck it. Whatever. Screw it. You know what I'm saying? She's grown. As a leader, you got to be able to not 
feel that way, not see it that way, and understand, like, it doesn't matter if I feel that way. You feel this way, so let me address it and have a conversation. Dialogue is important. Communication is important. And understanding the situation and the people that you work with is important. How I manage certain situations is based on the person, right? Because every, everybody is like, it's like a custom plan for everybody, right? And you can't expect everybody to have the same expectations, the same views and the same thoughts, the ideologies or, the, or move the way that you do. So, you know, I'll give you a case in point. Like, you know, if I'm dealing with personal problems, right, I don't always get the same type of response that I get when I give other people the problems that they're going through. Sometimes people are going through problems, I'm checking on them, like, are you good, are you all right, you good, are you all right? I don't necessarily, I'm not afforded that as much. But I, I understand that. Somebody might take that person and be like, man, well, you know, can I curse? Yeah. Or like, you know, man, fuck these people. You know, they don't look out for me the way I look out for them. Fuck them, you know what I'm saying? Like, period, you know what I'm saying? I'm over here checking on them. They ain't checking on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I understand that that's not their role. They don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? Like, so as a leader, you got to kind of like, some people will look at, look at it like you're pacifying talent or you're pacifying the people you manage, but you have to understand that it's, it's just a different responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, Spider-Man says with great power comes with great responsibility. Great responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually got the tattoo on my back, by the way. I got a fucking spider on my back that says with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, that's <laughs> I have that on the back of my shoulder. But it's the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I know that more is expected from me, and sometimes that, that, that takes a toll. Mentally, it could take a toll because, like, man, what the fuck? You know, not everybody's seen it the same way. Mm-hmm. But you got to understand people's personalities, personality traits, and know how to manage that. And then you got to learn how to micromanage. I think in the beginning, you, you kind of have to because you want to learn people, but then once you learn them, like, okay, that's, just, that's the way that we're going to operate on this situation. The other situation might be different. But everybody's different, and you can't expect anybody to be the same, and you can't expect people to view things the way you view it. You know, something I learned early on, no expectations, no disappointments. Mm. A lot of people expect a lot from people that are leaders, and that's unrealistic. You know, 99% of the people that I've had differences with in my lifetime have been because they've expected something from me that they did not get that I wasn't even aware of. Like, even if it was a response, like, man, I hit you up on Facebook and I wanted to be part of your show and you never hit me up, you arrogant asshole. It's like, I mean, I got 100 messages. I'm sorry. Have you ever tried to take me out to eat? No. Fuck you. You're big-headed. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, <laughs> but I got to be okay with that. Yeah. I got to understand, like, okay, you're not even, again, going back to what I said earlier, guys, you know, you're not mad at Lorenzo. You're mad at the professional persona, right? So, but the leadership aspect and mentality comes into play in all of that like you know it's not we're not eye to eye I have to look at it from here and that's hard sometimes because sometimes you 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 feel sometimes like fuck I want to say something (laughs) but you can't you know (laughs) you can't okay so this next segment of the show is called slow down we just want to get to know you this is where we can kind of ask you some personal questions kind of get people really to know you you know, to know you. Uh, and also, uh, this slowdown segment is brought to you by Lyrically Correct. Make sure you go to lyricallycorrect.com, put in promo code RayRay to get 20% off your game of Lyrically Correct 90s and 2000s hip hop and trivia card game. All right? So, you ready? You ready Let's for this slowdown segment? Yeah, all right. On. So, we're going to kick it off like this. So, you put together a lot of events. Okay? What would your dream lineup be that you could put together? And do you have a dream venue you would like to have that at? I think the dream venue, I think anybody's goal growing up would be, you know, just because of the mystique and the allure, would be selling out Madison Square Garden, right? Mm-hmm. And Madison Square Garden is just to say that you did it. That's really more of a brag. But for me, I think AT&T Stadium is something that, you know, we should all eventually want. Like seeing Bad Bunny do what he did a few weeks ago there, it was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, Dickie's Arena and Fourth. I mean, I think that's a little bit... It's a little bit more realistic for me, and I think that's something that I strive to do here in the near future. I think that's something I want to do to be able to sell out an arena in my city would be, like, I retire. Mic drop. I'm out. <laughs> Done. Uh, dream lineup, though, I mean, you know what? That's, that's, that's tough because all the artists that I would want to put on a show, I know it's a dream lineup, don't perform. You know, like, Dr. J doesn't perform. Eminem doesn't perform like that, so it's, it's hard, right? 
Uh, so you know, it's okay. Just who would be in your lineup? I mean, Tupac. You know, saying Tupac, uh, Eminem, and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I think I'm cool with that. Like you know, and uh, uh, but I mean, I think something that's realistic would be like Missy Elliott. I think Missy Elliott would be someone I've always wanted to work with. Someone I would, I would want to book and one day work with on that level. It's for sure. But or Boys to Men and Jodeci. I mean, those are my two favorite R&B groups growing up. If I could put them together, that'd be. That'd be it. I could mic drop on that level too, you know. Let's manifest that. Make that happen. <laughs> I'd be there. I'd be there for that. Yeah. Now, would you get all four members of Boys to Men back? Because you know, there's oh, only three man, of them to know, perform it's, right it's now. It's been only three for the last like 20 years. Uh, I think it'd be hard to get the fourth member, but it would be really cool. It would be cool if I was the fourth member. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like if I, you know, because literally the fourth member was just a sexy voice. Right? He's like, yeah, girl. They're killing you it know. in Vegas. Are they? Yeah. 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 No, I'm. I'm. Boys to Men was my favorite group. Growing up, and see, you know, now that my brother's gotten a little sick, I kind of, you know, I'd be reminiscent sometimes. And my brother's six years older than me, and so we used to take our music so serious. Like uh, I remember in the mid '90s or the early '90s, my bad. We used to have uh, our our closet, and we would like tag our closet like we were fucking gang members, right? <laughs> and I would I would put Boys to Men, and he would cross it out, and he put Jodeci, and then we would have a list on our on our closet. It was like Jodeci, Boys to Men, mm-hmm. and it was like so. It was like those were our favorite groups, so. Well, answer the question. Who would you choose? Boys to Men and Jodeci nowadays. Ooh. Now being an adult, listen to both bodies of music, who would you choose? Boys, Boys to Men's Men catalog is better than Jodeci's catalog, but Casey and JoJo with Jodeci, I would, I, would, I would lean towards Casey and JoJo and Jodeci because the Casey and JoJo catalog stretches Jodeci's catalog. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like with Jodeci by themselves, it's not, to me it's not really close. I, I love Boys to Men's music. But with Casey and JoJo... I like more Casey and JoJo's material today as an adult than I do Boyz II Men and Jodeci's content. But they're still Jodeci, so it's like... And then as a result, I like Drew Hill, and Drew Hill to me is a Jodeci ripoff. You know what I'm saying? I told, <laughs> I told Cisco that in the interview. I'm like, yo, because, you know, like... And I mean, I don't mean that in a disrespectful yeah. way, yeah, yeah. but Cisco self-admittedly is like, yo, we wanted to be Jodeci, and you could fucking tell. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you could tell. Cisco tries Ooh, to yeah. Have, yeah, he does his runs identical to Casey. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's like a little Casey, so, yeah. <laughs> For me, that that would be it. You know, it's crazy though. Like this new generation has no idea about those artists. I feel like I'm talking about the Temptations. Like, yo, in my time, <laughs> I had the Temptations. You know. All right. So you know, we we mentioned you know the refer, uh, the wrestling references yeah, earlier man. and stuff earlier. So I've noticed you've been around one of my personal favorite wrestlers, MVP. Yeah. Shout MVP. I talked to him yesterday. Um, <laughs> also, you've been interviewed. Uh, you've interviewed multiple wrestlers. Uh, most recently, including r Truth. Um, how did you develop those relationships? Also, do you have a favorite wrestler of all time? Oh, yeah, of course. And a favorite match of all time? Hell yeah, man. Dude, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. It's interesting because, you know, now that I'm older, I'm 37 years old, I've been in the entertainment business for really 20 years now, right? A little under 20 if you want to be technical. Uh, But, I mean, my passions were music. Wrestling and boxing, and I've been able to do things in all of those spaces. And when people like ask me, like, you know, I remember growing up, this, this is a dream come true. Like, I'm living my dream. I might not be a millionaire, but I'm legitimately living my dream because, you know, going to WrestleMania this year, you know, I was, you know, I went to the arena. My son is uh, 11 years old. I f- almost forgot how it was. <laughs> my son is 11 years old, and we went with MVP to WrestleMania. So, you know, to have that wristband, to be able to go in with the talent, like, it's like, wow, this is really surreal, you know, because I'm a fan at heart, no matter what. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, how I got cool with these guys is just through networking, man. Like, I met MVP through uh, Chino XL, Immortal Technique, and Poison Pin. We were doing a charity event for Hurricane Harvey. And when we went to Houston to go disperse the funds for that event, they're like, oh, by the way, uh, we're going to MVP's house. And like, MVP who? MVP who? They're like, oh, you know, the guy that was arrested on WWE at the time, he wasn't, he wasn't on TV. He was, he was just doing independent bookings. Yeah. So I met him then, and then we just maintained a relationship. And he was like, my, my favorite rap, rapper is Rakim, the God MC. And I happened to book Rakim. And so whenever he came into town, I introduced MVP to Rakim. And he was like, dude, I'm forever indebted to you. That's my favorite rapper of all time. Like, you introduced me to the God MC. Let me return the favor. So then a few months later... The WWE was in town. I'm like, hey, my kids are big fans of the Usos. Can you introduce them? It's like, I got you. So then that's just how it started. But in between all of that, 
I just know how to network, man. Like, I, I mean, I've this goes back to the early 2000s. You know, I would I just knew how to compose emails. And I met R-Truth uh, through, you know, just networking. And then, you know, I was able to work with Impact Wrestling. And, you know, MVP introduced me to a lot of the guys. You know, I did a toy drive with Chris Jericho. I met M- Chris Jericho through MVP. And, yeah, I mean, <laughs> one thing led to another. And, like, I've met all these guys. Like, a lot of those guys follow me. Jericho follows me on Instagram. Rikishi follows me. I've interviewed RVD. I've interviewed Tessa Blanchard. I'm really good friends with Tessa. You know, I know that a lot of people give her a bad rap, but she's really, yeah, really yeah. good. She's good in my book. You know what I'm saying? She's been nothing but good to me. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's it's cool. My favorite wrestler of all time. Depends on the era. Growing up, Hulk Hogan. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you know, that was like, that, he was the, the fucking real-life action hero. Now that I'm older, don't really care for him. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> Especially after all the stuff. Uh, yeah, after all the racist stuff. All the controversy stuff, uh, yeah. stuff that came with Hulk Hogan. Like, yeah. mm, black community ain't really rocking with Hulk Hogan no more. Uh, right. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a flat-out racist. You know, there's no way around that one. Um, but, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s, I was big on Razor Ramon. Uh, Rest in peace. And then eventually, the, you know, The Rock. But Undertaker's probably like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Favorite match? Uh, <laughs> the Rock versus Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. as, much, as much as, you know, you could say whatever. People want to say whatever they want about Hogan. You know, that match to me, because, you know, people don't understand the fascination with me and pro wrestling. It's like, I get it. It's not real, right? right. People are, oh, it's fake. Like, okay, we get it. It's theater, right? It's, it's a big-ass soap opera for men. Mm. But the art of performing... And, you know, when I interviewed Jake the Snake Robertson, like, you know, he'll, he'll tell me, man, my job as a performer is to masturbate the, the, the public's emotions. And that's a really, a really vulgar way of wording it. But I understood what he was trying to say. And to know and to get that type of reaction. And when you're a performer on stage or on any level, whether you're a comedian, a rapper, a singer, uh, a pro wrestler, you'll know when you're having a bad show. You'll know when you're not doing good, when there's crickets and there's no nobody responding to to what you're doing. I think when you see pro wrestling at its peak is when the crowd is going crazy and people are responding. And I feel that there's really very few matches that embody that the way that The Rock versus Hulk Hogan did at WrestleMania 18, I believe. Yeah, in Toronto. Yeah. That, that was like the mecca. In terms of like in-ring action, no. By no stretch of the imagination is that the best match. That I would probably say would be like Bret Hart Shawn Michaels Iron Man match WrestleMania 12, but the crowd, man, the, like like Hulk Hogan was just doing this, just fucking hoking up, and it was like crowd was going ape shit, like it was it was surreal, like dude, it, it like I watched that match at least once a month. That's how much like that match is like meant to me. Yeah. So you know it's weird, but you know my son watches it, so we enjoy it, you know. All right. Uh, what's the best advice you would give uh, your younger self? Mm, I would just say, you know, don't don't be a know-it-all. You know, be open to direction, learn. You know, like, you know, think the thing that I could tell myself as a younger version of me or someone out there that might be a younger version of me now or somebody that's just watching that wants to learn is like, yo, man, be open-minded. You know, like, not to sound cliche, but knowledge is power, right? You know, uh, the best, you know, in order to be a great teacher, first got to be a great student. You know, they always say, you know, if you're the most talented or the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I think it's it's important to surround yourself with like-minded individuals, people that are pushing you to be the best version of yourself. I think a lot of times, you know, we want to be the best. But what good is being the best, you know, like what good is being a big fish in a small pond, right? You want to be able to surround yourself with like-minded individuals that are going to take you to the next level. And we've all been guilty about, you know, we I think we've all been guilty at times of not doing that to the to the fullest extent. So I think that's probably what I would say. You know, of course, if I could go back and redo certain things, absolutely probably would have done a few things a little bit different. You know, like, oh, man, I should have pulled the trigger a little bit sooner on this. I should have formed Central Popular in 2015, you know. (laughs) Like, I should have started Premier Live in 2009, you know. Uh, But I, I don't really have any regrets on that level. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with a ton, a ton of people, you know. Like, when I look back and, and people ask me, like, yo, man, like, even you asking me right now about the wrestling stuff, like I got excited because like I never would have thought that I would have been able to have a conversation with you and be like, yeah, you know, I was in the car with Kurt Angle, you know, we 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 talk, you know, like we text each other, like yeah. that that shit's cool to me, you know yeah. what I mean? Like like the kid in me comes out, 
But as a professional, though, like being able to have moments where I've said, you know, I work with these people. And like even Nipsey Hussle, like doing his last concert, his last tour, you know, like, like that's powerful to me. You know, I never got a chance to work with Biggie. I never got a chance to work with Pac. Shit, earlier this year, I booked PNB Rock. Unfortunately, the show got postponed, but look at what just happened to PNB. Like his, his team is on my Facebook personal page. And seeing them share stories about him, it's like, wow. You know, to be in this business and to be able to have conversations with some of the people that I have, I've had conversations with, to be able to be colleagues and, you know, have people like Royce the Five Nine refer to me as their friend or get a text message from people like Crooked Eye on Father's Day and like Vega Happy Father's Day. Like, it might not mean a lot to a lot of people, but to me it means a lot to know that, like, as a kid, I, I admired these people. As a kid, I grew up wanting to be like these people. I grew up wanting to be just really a fan. Like, I didn't care if I was rubbing shoulders, but it, it meant the world to be able to say, you know what, these guys eventually, you know, I want to be a colleague of their, theirs, you know, like, because I respect them so much. And to have some of those guys put their arm around me and big up me, like, man, that's a dream come true, bro. How could I ever be mad? You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody knows the sacrifices and all the things that go into that stuff. So I think that's the biggest misinterpretation to me. They see the persona online. They'll see the guy with the shades, but they don't know all the stuff that went into it. So, yeah, man, I would definitely tell the younger version of me, just, man, just fucking don't be a know-it-all, but be prepared for what's going to happen because yeah. it's going to pay off. You actually kind of... You actually touched on my next next question. Sorry, I ask you. No, 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 no worries. No, no worries. <laughs> no worries. Now I was going to ask you. Well, you know, what is a, what is something that people misunderstand about you? Um, I think everything. Yeah. I think everything. I think everything about me is misunderstood. Like I, I don't think people understand. Like the most things that I do is with purpose. Like you know, like uh, I I've learned to separate social media from real life, which took a long time because people get wrapped up into it. But just I think we can all agree, social media is like one big virtual high school. And like it's just a big, big space of a bunch of people wanting to either be the cool kid or gossip or, you know, trying to get at chicks, whatever. It's like a big virtual high school, a big virtual nightclub or whatever, mm. right? Uh, a big virtual neighborhood. And I don't necessarily care to partake in that. You know, I don't want to be the coolest kid on the block. I just want to be the most successful I can be. And if that happens to be more successful than other people, so be it. I don't. That's not the intention, though, because success is subjective. What do you even define that? Yeah. I think now that I'm older, it's more about being at peace, being able to do what I love to do more than anything, right? And, and and that's progressing my career, progressing other people's careers. Like, people always ask me, like, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? And my goal is to eventually change. Like, I want to be a music executive. I, in a sense, I'm already a music executive, but I want to change people's lives. Of course, in the process, if I change people's lives, I want to change the course of music and the music game, per se, Right. We all want that, man. Who the fuck does not want the next Michael Jackson? Who the fuck does not want the next Elvis, the next Justin Bieber, whoever's going to change the culture of music? Of course I want to be able to be part of that, but in my own way I want to be able to change lives. And so I think the misinterpretation is that there's there's really a purpose behind what I do. It's not just like, oh, hey, you know what? I'm a promoter. I want to make money. Money, 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 money. Like, that's not all I give a fuck about. Because let me tell you something, guys. If all I cared about was money, this would not be the line of work that I chose. Like, I, I've t- I, I use that as a joke. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'll be like, why didn't I choose to be a firefighter, a police officer? Like, why didn't I go do something else in my career? Like, why did I choose to do this? Because I love it. And I think the misinterpretation is that, you know, I mean, everything is, but I think the arrogant level and sometimes wording something like it is to get a reaction out of people. You know, it, you know, the most successful pro wrestlers in the world will always tell you that they are themselves with the volume turned all the way up. So sometimes you got to understand that and really get a, a feel for that. But I think that's, I think that I guess I'm not giving long answers, but I think the, <laughs> I guess there's a, there's a method to the madness. That's the mis- big, biggest misinterpretation. There's a method to everything I do. No, I get it. I get it. Um, so, what makes you feel like your best self? I mean, I think the best version of myself is. I mean, it's it's about being fulfilled, right? Um, I found myself in plenty of times over the last several years. You know, my kids. The, you know, seeing them grow. It's it's really exciting, but it's bittersweet because you realize time is flying. I'm like, damn, dude, my kid was born, like, last year. She's 12 now. You know, like, it, it's it's surreal to see them grow. It's surreal to see them become young adults and form their own personalities. But 
as fulfilling as that is, and they're more important than the career, make no mistake about that, but when, I, when I'm able to change a situation or, you know, sometimes I go to an event that I do and I'm there, 3,000 people in attendance, you know, he mentioned Central Popular. I did that event in honor of my mother. I did that this year. Three Six Mafia headlined it. There's 3,000 people there, and you look around, and people are having the time of their lives. And you know, I'm going out in public, and people are like, "Man, that concert you put last week, man, that was the b- best concert I've ever been to." Like, ah, man, bro, like it's you're creating moments, you're creating memories, you're changing people's lives in your own way. That's powerful, man, and I think that in a lot of ways makes me feel. I wouldn't say the best version of myself, but definitely up there. You know what I'm saying? Definitely up there. I can't, I can't describe it. You know, I think, you know, production. That's, that's what I'm saying. Being productive makes me feel like the best version of myself. Like when I just know that I did some dope shit, like, damn, I just had dinner with Barack Obama. That shit is dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, shit, I just had lunch with Mark Cuban. That shit is dope. Like that is like yeah. to be able just to do things that nobody can do or has done, especially for a Mexican-American, like, that man, dude, like that makes me feel like the best version of myself. And I don't know, I mean, some people might interpret it as like clout, but it's not clout, bro. It's like no, like yeah. it's what makes you feel best about yourself, and not what others think. So if that is what makes you feel like the best version of yourself, fuck what anyone has yeah, to say about it. I, I, I shared that with somebody one time. I think I told Royce, and I man, you know, it made me feel real, real fulfilled whenever he brought me on stage and he brought me in front of the, the audience at the show and he put his arm around me and told everybody that, like, just big up me in front of the, the, the audience. And, you know, I go, man, it made me feel validated. He's like, you should never want to be validated by a situation or a person. Like, he made, he made that comment to me. I was like, but you don't understand, though. When this is all you've ever wanted, when you just stare and watch and, you know, dig and invest yourself into one thing, like, I didn't grow up wanting to do anything other than music. Like, I didn't watch movies like everybody else, and I wasn't into, like, some of the same things that everybody else. I didn't party. I've never drank, never smoked. I watched VH1 behind the music. My addiction was trying to do this. God damn it. You don't understand. That's hard work paying off to me. You know what I mean? That's really being able to be able to say, I saw, I came, I conquered. I wanted to do this. And there's still way more to go. I feel like I'm 30 to 40% there. Like, I'm not 100% there, but to some people, they're like, you're 100% there. You've over-exceeded. I've overachieved because where I'm from, especially the neighborhood that I come from, like, like people didn't believe that it could be done. Certainly not for me. I wasn't the most talented rapper growing up. I wasn't, like, you know, I wasn't cool like everybody else. I didn't have that cool factor. I didn't look like a rapper. didn't necessarily sound like a rapper. I developed, but, man, you know, to be able to say... I did what y'all thought I couldn't do to Allison's point. Fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Respectfully. Facts. <laughs> nah, but it was cool though. You know what I mean? So I always like to end the interview with I like to end each interview with this question, all right? What do you want people to take away from this interview? Man, what I want people to take away is uh whatever they choose to, but I would love for them to be inspired. That's what I want to be. You talked about the counselor stuff to talk about the leader stuff, lead by example, you know. Um, Not to get religious, guys, but my mother, who passed away in 2009, would always tell me that, you know, one day she she wants to be a missionary. She wants to go to Africa and feed the, the, the people in need. That was her idea of being a missionary and giving back and doing God's work, which, in my opinion, she already did God's work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a, I'm a testament to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but... When I think of that, I always go, well, you know, all of us in our own way are are here for a purpose, and we just have to find what that purpose is, and our missions are all different, but we all have a purpose, and we all want to give people something to take with them, whether it be our children, whether it be a relative, a friend, a significant other. And so I want people to take from this interview that hopefully something I said within here could inspire them to do more. Because then if that's the case, my purpose has been fulfilled. Thanks. My Amen. Drop. Jesus. I didn't uh, know that I had that one in me. It's going to be a good clip I, right there. My mother, in, 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 in somehow or another, I got some divine intervention going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. That's cool, though. Yeah, I appreciate it. 
Real quick, I want you to shout out all the social media pages you want people to follow or follow you, all your businesses. Shout all those out for us real quick. Uh, Smooth Vega, one word, S-M-O-O-T-H-V-E-G-A. That's Smooth Vega. Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, it's Smooth Vega 85. I have blue checks on both of them, not to stunt, not to flex, but I do, <laughs> so you'll know who I am. Uh, and then on YouTube, Premier Live TV. Okay. And then I have smoothanger.com, premierliveexperience.com. Nothing Beats Experience is the name of the talk show for you know that I have on Premier Live TV, which you know I have all the interviews that you mentioned. You can actually hear audio version on Spotify and Apple as well. So if you're not a visual person, you just want to listen to me in the car, there you go. And uh, yeah, man, Premier Live Experience. I mean, like, like, I don't really update the Premier Live stuff. I've made more of an effort over the last year and a half to focus more on personal branding. The future Premier Live is always going to be there because I built it, but I'm more focused on Smooth Vegas. So just stay, just stay locked in with my social, and you'll find all the stuff that we're doing, all the events coming up. I have some really good ones coming up in January. I'm, I'm going to share with you guys off there. No breaking news today. <laughs> all right. Uh, but, yeah, thank you guys so much. And I'm glad that I finally got the opportunity to get up here. I'm sorry it took a year. It's all right. We're all right. You know what I'm saying? We're but, here. But we're here. And, uh, man, hopefully it was good. You know, I was a little off. You know I mean? I fell down before I came up here. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, it's you know right. what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I earned my stripes on this podcast. Hey, but, you, but you fell, but you got up. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate you guys. Real quick, I want to shout out one of our sponsors real quick. Shout out to Elite Pro Power Washing. Uh, any of your power washing needs, you need a fence cleaned, you need the chimney cleaned, uh, need some cement cleaned, uh, you got some you know, hoodlums doing the graffiti on your no, property, you need no, to no. clean up. Graffiti taking off the closet walls. Yeah. <laughs> Go to EliteProWashing.com, tell them Ray Ray's podcast sent you, all right? Man, so you know, it's been a great interview. You know, thank you, Allison. Thank you, Jeray. Oh, I'm sorry. Ray Rock. <laughs> hey, you put my government name out there. <laughs> Oops. Nah, my bad. You so Scammers so, are coming scammer, for you now. Scammers are going to be scamming you, all right? You know what I'm saying? This has been a great episode of Ray Ray's Podcast. And, you know, we got to end with some positive words. Tell yourself, I will boss up physically. I will boss up mentally. I will boss up spiritually. And I will boss up financially. Invest in yourself. This is your boy, Ray. And Ray. And Allison. And this is Ray Ray's Podcast. We're out. Hey. Get money out.